Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Laura and Gabe here. It's May 10th and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers except Christina. On this podcast, we take turns and this week it's Gabe's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, he chose theaters opening on Broadway. For our conversation on all things sports, we'll talk about the Caps scrum. And for our topic at the intersection of sports and queer, Tom Daly's domination of the 2020 World Diving Cup. After that, we're going to share our interview with area athlete Brian Frank. First, a quick update on Team DC. Team DC and its member clubs continue to partner with Nelly's Sports Bar for our Heroes for Heroes campaign, providing free meals to DC's frontline workers. Last week's meals were delivered to the staff and clients at Smile and to the nurses and those staffing the large vaccine center at Arena Stage. A big shout out to all our sponsors of those meals, including Team DC, DC Gay Basketball League, Rogue League Sports, DC Frontrunners, Gay Hockey, DC, Kara Bowling, and Stonewall Kickball teams, the Mounties, and the Swallows. As COVID restrictions start to ease, member clubs are beginning to increase some activities. Be sure to follow Team DC and its member clubs on social media for updates. Find Team DC on Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Twitter and Instagram at Team DC Sports. And the Pride Night Out series is back. Team DC will be celebrating Pride Night Out with the Washington Prodigy on June 5th, the Washington Mystics on June 29th, Old Glory Rugby on July 10th, the Washington Nationals on August 17th, and DC United on August 28th. Ticket availability for in-person attendance is still unknown, but please stay tuned for more details. Finally, Team DC will be celebrating Pride Week June 1st through 7th. The virtual celebration will include content from Pride Night Out partners, including the Washington Nationals and Old Glory DC. Team DC's 2021 college scholarship recipients, workouts, yoga, healthy cooking, and eating tips, and more. Our silent auction fundraiser will also take place featuring sports tickets and memorabilia from all our night out partners. Gabe and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all of your favorite podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast to help us out. And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe to Under the Bleachers for all the latest news at the intersection of sports and queer. And now here's Gabe with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. Stop my queer topic. It's 2021 and Broadway is back. Kind of. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced on May 5th that the state would be loosening restrictions and allowing theaters to open to full capacity on September 14th. Tickets began to go on sale the next day. 
The Broadway League later released their own press releases stating a more vague message saying shows will return sometime in fall 2021. Theaters in New York will still need to abide by CDC's social distancing rules for patrons, which pose both a logistical and financial conundrum. Fixed seat theaters will need to reconfigure their seating while trying to balance the delicate budget and profit margins. And according to Playbill Magazine, over the last three full seasons, theaters welcomed 14.77 million patrons, which is more than New York's 10 sports teams combined, and contributed over $15 billion to the New York economy. So far, Diana and a revival of The Music Man have announced specific dates. Hamilton, The Lion King, and Wicked are set to make a joint announcement this week on their opening dates. And a few shows like Harry Potter and the Cursed Child are toying with the idea of reducing showtime and length and the structure of the show. Diana 6, Flying Over Sunset, and Passover are all set to debut, and The Phantom of the Opera will return to continue as its reign as the longest-running Broadway show with a record 32, eh, 33 years on stage, if you count last year. So for my first kind of like little topic, uh, Laura, I know you're a theater fan. Are you excited for Broadway returning? And do you have any plans to make a trip to New York in the future? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I'm super excited. I, my first show that I'm planning a trip for is Jagged Little Pill, the musical based on Alanis Morissette's amazing album from the 90s jagged little pill uh and it swept so, all the tonys because that was the only because one. it was the only <laughs> show but also because it the music is awesome i've listened to a lot of the music online and it's fantastic and there's a lot of great themes in it i can't wait i'm really excited although recently there's been some criticism of the show To be honest, I haven't completely read up on it to fully understand it, but there is some uh, hubbub going around right now um, about some themes about gender identity, I think, in the show. And so that's a little troubling. I'll have to figure that out, but I'm super excited. They have an official date in September that they are opening up again. So I am looking to get tickets probably in early October, maybe celebrate my birthday on Broadway. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) How are you going to feel about sitting in a theater with people though? I feel fine. I am fully vaccinated and I am, you know, I'll wear a mask the way that I do when I'm around strangers, but that's more because I don't know if everybody else is vaccinated and I don't want to risk any giving anybody who's not vaccinated something Um, but honestly, I feel very secure in my life now as a vaccinated human. So I don't know if that, if I'm like being unrealistically over, um, like excited about the vaccine, or maybe I'm being unrealistic about just how, um, much I should trust it. But if so, then I'm doing that like in blind ignorance because I'm ready (laughs) to be living my life and I'm definitely ready to be back on broadway i mean i'm excited uh i did want to i so i was in london right before the pandemic and six had just premiered and i was really excited i was like oh is it ever gonna make it or whatever and i'm excited to see that it's actually coming back um yeah this diana show i think it's gonna be interesting i don't know i'm a little skeptical about this diana thing i, I, mean, I might, know how it I, ends 
<laughs> that's true spoiler uh there's a car accident um no i uh i don't know i i mean i'm definitely not rushing to see diana i really want to see the revival of the music man uh hugh jackman is in that maybe somebody uh famous is, is in that yeah I, I i haven't seen the music man on broadway ever so that's like pretty exciting um I'm not surprised, I guess, that Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is toying with the idea of reducing showtime. I mean, if COVID is what it took to get that show to reduce showtime, thank goodness, <laughs> because no fucking show should be 16 hours long or whatever that show is. Like, you know that that show is crazy. Like, you have to see it over the course of two days. It's so long. It's yeah, ridiculous. Part one and two. We completely ridiculous. So I don't know, like... Um, you know why that's necessary anyway but interestingly it doesn't seem like a lot of plays are on the list of like coming oh. back and i really want to see slave play so i i super hope that that's gonna make its way back uh to broadway because i hadn't had a chance to see that before everything got shut down and i have heard that it's phenomenal and we're still waiting for the tonys because the tonys were supposed to be <laughs> Oh. They had like three dates for them and they never yeah. did them. There's supposed to be a digital I mean, honestly, what do we need the Tonys for after nothing being on? I don't know. I I, I, I still love and I, I hope like it's going to be horrible that someone gets the Tony. Like, no, the, what is it? You can vote for no Tony. Yeah, that's my favorite. They, they're like, okay, we don't have enough people, so we can only nominate one person, but we are shady queens, so we can't just, like, give them a, give them a trophy. We have to give you the opportunity to vote no trophy. There <laughs> are no participation trophies. You earn it or you get no Tony. <laughs> that is so bad. Like, can you imagine being the fucking person? And then here you are at the Tony sitting in the audience, and the guy is like, and the Tony goes to... So, like, the nominee was Gabe Hernandez or no Tony. And the Tony goes to no Tony. <laughs> like, I would flip how do you even, yeah. Like, and then, like, the guy with the camera is, like, on you in the audience. And you're just like, oh, bury me. Hide me now. <laughs> clapping, trying to take a smile. No, I would flip tables and throw shit. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. That is crazy, but super excited that Broadway is back. Please bring back plays. I don't care if you get rid of the concession stand and leave a couple of seats empty. We need Broadway musicals. I did kind of laugh a little bit that one of the um, articles from, I think, Playbill was saying that there won't be too many seating restrictions or something, but they're not going to allow um, people to like stand outside the door where the cast usually comes out. And you, usually oh yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay. So like we can all sit on top of each other in the audience, but stay away from the stars. We can't like risk them getting COVID. I <laughs> but I agree with that because I don't want anybody getting sick and then we have to take Broadway back, you know, offline. So take one person. Everybody behave your goddamn selves because Broadway is coming back. And if we lose it again, I'm going to lose my shit. And I did think it was crazy that, I mean, I knew Broadway was a big like economic booster for New York, but I didn't know that it basically makes more money than all 10 teams combined. Well, yeah, 
I mean, think about it. These shows are like never dark, right? Like they're True. doing a show every day, two, twice on Saturday. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's more than any, um, any of the sports teams do. And tickets to Broadway are crazy expensive these days because everything is always sold out people yeah. pay and people pay ridiculous amounts of money so i'm not surprised by that the only thing is like the theaters are relatively small but there are quite a few of them um now so yeah i i mean it's a huge thing for the economy in new york um but it's also just freaking vital i mean live performances and the arts are really important <laughs> parts of our uh, lives and our, you know, entire society. So, you know, we need this stuff back. I, um, recently the, uh, Kennedy Center announced their return of live theater at the Kennedy Center. I just got my tickets for the next season. So shows at the Kennedy Center are starting in October. So, we see that this is coming back all over. Hopefully the National Theater will have some news soon about when they're coming back. And everybody go see some freaking theater. It's good for you. Yeah, especially hopefully local theater starts coming back. Yeah, I mean, I think like some of those smaller theaters are still kind of struggling with can we afford to open if we can't fill all of our seats, you know? So I think it's probably a little bit more complicated for some of the smaller ones, but yeah, hopefully soon. So yay, support your local theater, support your theater in general and the arts. And uh, yes. kind of speaking of, quick going into my next little plug, because I'm super excited for next week. Uh, on Saturday is the grand finale of Eurovision. <laughs> and I just wanted to do my quick little like top picks. So Eurovision was off for a year, but it's back again in Rotterdam, Netherlands. And again, uh, let's see my predictions. My top picks are Malta, which I call her Maltese Lizzo because her song is really awesome. And she <laughs> reminds me of Lizzo. Uh, then there's a Ra uh, Israeli Mariah Carey, which can do the whistle notes, which I loved. Oh. And this really weird Icelandic guy who shoots flames out of a kitar, which is amazing. I mean, a kitar is pretty amazing on its own. You don't see enough kitars these days. <laughs> But yeah, you're going to shoot keytars. flames out of a keytar? I'm in. Yeah, I'm, in. I'm fully on board. <laughs> um, and then uh, the dark horse is San Marino, which because of Eurovision, I found out it was a country because yay American, yay Texas uh, public school systems. Uh, <laughs> but they're, they're the dark horse because they got Flo Rida to <laughs> sing the song with them and so oh. they might take it just because of the star power so let's see what happens on may 22nd but i am excited for eurovision it's back you know i always knew that there was this guy named flo rida okay <laughs> i always knew about this but then one day i was sitting i believe we were at the airport i was with my sister and there was a TV, like we were getting food at a bar or something. And there was like a TV that was on mute. So like, you couldn't hear the guy, but there was one of those like tickers on the bottom and oh, no. it said something about Florida. And I was like, what the hell? There's a rapper named Florida. Like, 
my sister was just dying, like just laughing. And I'm like, what? I don't understand. And it took me like a couple of solid minutes of like saying it out loud before I suddenly was like, oh, oh. that's how you spell Florida? Is he from Florida? Is this like a whole thing? And my sister was like, you are ridiculous. And I fully confess that I am ridiculous. But um, okay, I, based on those descriptions, my uh vote is locked in for iceland but i will <laughs> i will definitely check out what florida has to do so everybody get your tickets for a broadway show this fall and watch the eurovision grand finale saturday afternoon yay all right gabe sports right. what do we got going on now to my sports topic i have two because i was very i was all over the place this week Okay, first off, I'd like to say congratulations to my celebrity sports crush and boxing badass Canelo Alvarez of Mexico, who dominated the ring on Saturday night, defeating Billy Joe Saunders of the UK by technical knockout after landing a devastating right uppercut to the eye, uh, which basically swelled up Saunders' eye. It was disgusting and gross, but amazing. Uh, in round eight, that caused massive swelling for Saunders, who did not answer the bell for the ninth round. Canelo retained his WBA Super, WBC, and the Ring Super Middleweight titles and won the WBO Super Middleweight title in the unification match, uh, which is awesome because just three months ago, he just he defeated Avon Yildirim of Turkey, um, which is also a great fight. But we were talking about this before, how like boxing just doesn't last as long. But I mean, we at least got eight rounds, so that was a good, good fight. The only thing that kind of worried me was that... <laughs> There was a sold-out 73,126 mostly maskless fans in attendance at AT&T Stadium in Dallas, or Arlington. Uh, so that did make me a little worried. But, I mean, it was still a great night of boxing, and hopefully boxing comes back. Uh, and then going on to my other topic, and speaking of epic fights, last Wednesday, the Capitals took on the Rangers in Madison Square Garden and played one of the wildest matches I've ever seen. Just a few seconds after the puck dropped, three separate fights began to break out on the ice as Nick Dowd, Carl Hagelin, and Garnet Hathaway of the Caps took, a, took on Kevin Rooney, Colin Blackwell, and Philip De Giuseppe of the Rangers. And then the gloves were definitely off as six separate fights occurred during the first period, and both teams racked up a combined 72 minutes of penalty time in the first Four minutes and 14 seconds of their match. Rangers' Brendan Smith scuffled with Caps' Tom Wilson, and then at the 4-14 mark of the first period, Caps' Lars Ellers faced on Ryan Strom, and Michael Raffle started brawling with Anthony Potato. The most controversial moment was when the Caps' Tom Wilson slammed Artemi Panarin into the ice. Wilson had previously injured Panarin earlier this week, and he was also suspended for five games and fined $5,000 for punching Pavel Buknevic in the back of the head while he was face down on the ice on Monday. Uh, so that was kind of like the catalyst to the whole drama that happened. Uh, the NHL Department of Player Safety has opted not to suspend Wilson, and the Caps ended up beating the Rangers 4-2, to two, and 141 minutes of penalty time were assessed by the teams. Hockey fans shared mixed reviews, and some have called for Wilson to be suspended for the rest of the season. The Rangers are upset that their million-dollar star player is now out with a lower body injury. At what point do the players need to settle things through sports and not with fists? It's all fun and games until the team's owner's investment is injured. Listen. All right, Liza, did you catch any of these <laughs> fights this week? Okay, so 
No, I'm not a hockey fan and I never watch hockey. So I did not watch this game, but I did hear about this and see some of the clips on uh, Sports Center. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like this guy needs therapy. Like he definitely should be suspended and it is scary. Like he's going to, he's going to seriously hurt somebody if he continues this way. Like he clearly has a rage problem <laughs> and like, you can't, I'm sorry. I know that fighting is like part of the whole hockey ethos or whatever. And people like it and they want it to be part of the game. I, I don't necessarily get it. Cause like, I've never been a huge hockey fan, but like every time I've gone to a hockey game, I'm like, these fights are not fun to watch. And it just breaks up the game, the flow of the game. And I think it's crap. So personally, I don't like it. But putting that aside, like this guy clearly has gone well beyond any boundary of what can be considered reasonable. And like, he's going to seriously injure somebody if somebody doesn't like have some actual consequences, because clearly he's not deterred by sitting an entire game in the penalty box. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you saw it, as soon as the puck dropped, it's just like, boom, 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 fight, fight, fight gloves off and i but get like i think everybody knew like everybody was waiting for that to happen because they oh. had, had this beef earlier in the week and it was all this like build up it's like kind of like one of these things where like you know you know that a pitcher hits a batter and you know that it's coming right like that yeah. the pitcher is going to throw at the batter and you know it's coming and everybody's prepared for it and it's like this fake drama like but this is crazy like i <laughs> it's just like the entire ice was just like a fight here a fight here a fight here like what are you even doing I don't know they they need to definitely squash this because it's getting to the point where I think it uh could actually be really dangerous and the the thing with Wilson is that a lot of them were cheap shots I mean who kicks somebody when they're like down on the what like that is like that is like, like a felony. People in the back of the head. It's like, what are you doing? Like that is a felony. What are you doing? You cannot like stomp a defenseless person who's down on the ground. Like you're gonna break somebody's neck, dude. What is oh, your? And the Rangers are because what's his name? Panarin. He's he's paid over a million dollars. So they're pissed because they just took him out for the rest. Almost, hope like hopefully not, but pretty much like a couple games maybe the rest of the season because they don't know how serious his back injury is yeah this is what i'm saying like this is ridiculous i'm sure that the rangers have insurance on his contract so monetarily like they'll probably be fine but i'm also sure like they didn't pick this guy up to not play and help them win games so you know that's that's like a separate issue but you know, I, I don't know this whole thing. Like, I don't understand how you, first of all, you have a thing called the department of player safety. <laughs> Interesting. Good to know, but you have a thing called the department of player safety. And they looked at this guy and everything he did in the course of one week, all the people like that he massacred and like sent to the hospital in a week. And you were like, nah, that's not, He's that's good. not bad enough to like suspend this guy that doesn't seem to interfere with player safety that badly. <laughs> he was, yeah, because they're like, oh, we already gave him a five-game suspension, $5,000. It's okay. Cool, cool. Like, we're good. We see we did something. He made that $5,000 in the time it took him to injure one of those people. So <laughs> that is not It was like, probably like a 1000 a punch or something. Like, oh, good 
God. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, also, I did not watch the boxing match. I haven't watched boxing, honestly, since like the days of like Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. <laughs> like it's been a while since I've like really followed boxing or watched any boxing, but um, I'm glad that you're celebrity crush is still the champion or whatever he is uh he's um, awesome if like so i grew up watching boxing and so i still kind of watch it sometimes just to feel a little nostalgic because i remember like, growing up and anytime there was a major fight and especially like boxing is huge in mexico so it was julio Cesar chavez you know um oscar de la hoya all these like big fighters we would always do like a barbecue everybody get over and watch it and um yeah like i've been following canelo for a while and it's crazy to see him kind of like go up and do everything uh, yeah no i mean i listen that's cool boxing back. freaks me out because <laughs> like the, it's one thing when you have a sport that is physical and violent but when it, the actual purpose of the sport is to like punch a dude in the head like the whole Until thing their with, face, like swells up yeah, I mean, just like what must, how many of them must have CTE scares the shit out of me. And so I really, I have a hard time watching like boxing um, or uh, mixed martial arts just because that freaks me out, the whole concussion thing and how it's, what it's doing to people. And historically, a lot of the people involved in boxing come from, you know, bad socioeconomic backgrounds and come from communities that are um, suffering communities, you know, like marginalized communities. And so that there's like a whole lot of uneasiness for me around that, that like people who tend to get into this sport are people who are desperate basically to change their circumstances. And they're yeah. signing up for a sport that you almost by definition are going to be, you're guaranteed you to get multiple concussions, which Oh yeah. If, you know, if you, if you're unlucky and you end up with CTE, like that will kill you. I mean, look, we, we've seen how devastating that can be. So, you know, that, ugh, I just, I have some, uh, heebie jeebies around boxing <laughs> because of that, but you're right about the fact that it's ridiculous how fast boxing matches are over. Although yes. This one went to a technical knockout, so I guess it was longer. Than, yeah, I mean, the that's longer like than a lot of. Three. Yeah. And, you know, the um, back in the day, it used to be the only place you could watch boxing was either HBO or pay-per-view. And even when it was on HBO, you usually had to pay extra to get the fight, even if you had an HBO subscription, right? And I know now, like, it's the same thing. Like, a lot of the money that they make in that sport is from selling the opportunity to watch the sport. And it's like, I don't know, you're going to pay all that money to watch this match, and it's going to be over in four minutes. Yes. <laughs> That's you, stay up, you stay up all the way to midnight to watch this match, <laughs> and then, bonk, it's wah, over. Like, first round, done. But yeah, I, I don't know. I he, say he lasted long this time. See, he didn't. I think he lasted. <laughs> I think you should get in touch with your celebrity crush and encourage him to retire while he still has his brains unscrambled and the pretty face. I actually, he was in town. I think two years ago for the um, Hispanic Heritage Awards, and I was like dying to get a ticket just so I could like meet him. And I was like, okay. <laughs> How can I sneak into this theater? <laughs> <laughs> and completely. Where is Canelo staying? 
I'm going to fangirl <laughs> and humiliate myself. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Well, exactly. there was a lot happening in sports this week. Sports fans, I hope you enjoyed a fight or two. Uh, and I hope that next week is a little bit less bloody for the NHL. <laughs> now for this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer, uh, FINA, which I hope I'm saying it right because it's some French acronym, the International Swimming Federation held their 2020 Diving World Cup last week. The event, which was postponed due to COVID-19, was the last qualifying event for the Summer Olympics. Tom Daly of Great Britain, Don Despito, returned to the pool and took home two gold medals, one for the 10-meter platform and one for synchronized 10-meter platform with his diving partner, Matty Lee. Daly was 27 points over second place Randall Willers of Mexico and over 53 points ahead of the second place Mexican synchronized diving team. The cutest moment came after he secured his win with the final dive and gave a shout out to Robbie, his two-year-old son, and his husband back home in London. Daly stated it was hard to leave his husband, Dustin Lasplank, and son Robbie for over 20 days. Daly was proud of his performance, but noted he still has work to do. He will return to Tokyo this summer and make his fourth Olympic appearance. I'm excited to see him to compete and also to giggle as the divers' speedos are blocked by their scores on TV. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, my housemates are big Olympic fans, so we've been watching a lot of tennis and a lot of diving, but uh, there was a lot of good diving this. um, I like diving. Diving is one of those sports that, like, every time the Olympics comes around, I I watch all the diving, and it's weird because it's, like, one of these sports that I would think I would not find super exciting or fun to watch, but it's great. I really love it. And I love that we have an actual out and proud athlete who is just kicking some serious ass at this level of competition. Um, So that is super cool. I am very excited for the Olympics to be back this summer. I love the summer Olympics. So all of this is very cool. Um, I don't know what it is that he thinks he has to do if he's winning by 50 points, but hey, you know, (laughs) all these perfectionists out there, I don't know. (laughs) That was the thing. He was just like, no, I still need to do better. I did this or that. Um, We're watching a lot of, um, it's fun to hear the commentaries, especially with these smaller uh, competitions that are around the world, but you start picking up little things. So I'm just sitting there with a beer like, oh, he didn't point his toes. Take out points. (laughs) Too big of a splash. Too big of a splash. (laughs) (laughs) No, diving is cool and fucking scary when you see Uh, the angles of like how high up they are and stuff. I just, no, thank you, ma'am. I could not get up there and do that. But yeah, I, you know what? I'm excited for, I love beach volleyball at the Olympics. That is like super fun to watch. Um, I'm always amazed at how those women who play beach volleyball keep their bikinis in place so well. They must have so much double-sided tape on their bodies. (laughs) Like those bikinis and they're like just perfectly form fitting. You know, they're like custom made (laughs) to their bodies. Um, They they consulted a drag queen. And (laughs) I also love um, like, because gymnastics is super fun to watch although the women's gymnastics is way better than the men's oh yeah i have to say and the u.s women's gymnastics team is great so i am super excited for the summer olympics this year and yay tom daly yeah and i thought it was really cute that like even the announcers kind of like oh that was a shout out to his husband and his you know new son 
and it was just very like okay cool like that was a cute little moment you know in yeah. the middle of everything technical just like oh that was so cute i was like oh that's awesome that yeah, you know I you mean, have an out athlete that can right. say hey hi husband in london and <laughs> son hope you're watching Honestly, it like shouldn't be that big of a deal i mean people do that all the time like shout out to their family whether it's their spouse or their kids or their parents or whatever and his family happens to include a husband and son so you know it shouldn't yeah. be a big deal but it kind of is a big deal because you know we're still in this era of normalizing so i'm glad that he did that i'm glad that the announcers noted it um so any idiot that missed what was happening was told <laughs> and also um if you don't understand diving just watch it and yes giggle because when they put the scores on them and they're walking out of the pool it just looks like they're naked and it's hilarious <laughs> it also looks like they're scoring them for something completely different <laughs> it's all of a sudden turned into like a oh scandal <laughs> Also, the scoring in diving is kind of weird. So it's not like, you know, you don't necessarily get like a 10. And like, so sometimes it's weird. Like you'll get like a 4.2 and you're like, that seems bad, but it actually. But it's good, bad. but it's bad. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm like 4.2. What? That bulge is bigger than that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's this week's Under the Bleachers roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll share our interview with DC area athlete Brian Frank. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today we are joined by Brian Frank. Brian is a DC area athlete who regularly competes in triathlons. Hey, Brian, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, we are excited to talk to you. And before we dive into your triathlon career, I wanted to go back and ask, um, have you always been an athlete? Did you participate in sports when you were growing up? Or is this just an adult uh, hobby that you took on? So yes and no. Um, I was a swimmer by background. So I grew up and I guess what is now considered middle school. It was called junior high. I went back when I was in it, or maybe that's a regional thing, but that's, I grew up as a swimmer, um, did that all the way through high school and then became kind of a, a basically a non-athlete after high school. So growing up, it was all about swimming. Uh, when, when I, when I think about this, it's Oftentimes my parents said, you know, we tried to get you into team sports. We tried to do t-ball. We tried to do soccer. You know, I don't know if that dates me of like when I grew up um, as far as what sports were available to me, but I was never a team sport player. And I, I don't know the reason for that. I'm sure I could sit down with a psychologist and they could <laughs> dive into this forever <laughs> and ever. Uh, but like my parents always chalked it up to, I didn't want to rely on anybody. I just wanted to be my, do my own thing. And so an individual sport like swimming was where I could excel because all it was required of me was to dive into the pool and swim as fast as I could and didn't rely on anybody else to get, you know, the results at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so you weren't the relay guy. <laughs> I was not the relay guy. I mean, yeah, that's, so, <laughs> that's probably, maybe there was one or two relays, but no, it was always the individual, the, the individual swim. Um, the individual events that that's, that's what I wanted to do. Fair enough. And when did you first start uh, competing in triathlons? I actually did my first triathlon in 2008. So that's where it became more of an adult thing. Uh, like I never 
up until that point, like I think like in Boy Scouts, when I was a teenager, we did something similar to a triathlon, but it wasn't really an official triathlon. It was just, let's throw some kids in the pool and see if they can swim and then have them bike and then do some, I think we actually swim and then ran and then bike, which is out of the order of what official triathlons are. But it was just a thing that the kids were, were doing in Boy Scouts, but it wasn't until 2008 that I did my first official triathlon. And it wasn't even until 2008 that I even considered doing a triathlon. Uh, it started back, um, so the, the club I'm in, the DC Triathlon Club, every year we put on what we call the new triathlete program, which is a off the couch to doing your first triathlon program. Um, like you, you tell people how to, what to look for when buying a bike, if they don't have one, how to swim, how to run, all that stuff. Uh, and we have an informational meeting at the beginning of that program before you even sign up to see if you're interested in that. And I had a friend who she had done marathons and she'd be very interested and, and she'd been racing for years in marathons and she got seen, she saw people with all these different triathlon shirts and she got the idea. She was like, I want to do one of those. Then she found about the found out about the DC Triathlon Club's you know, informational session, and she wanted to go, uh, but didn't want to go alone. And so she says, "You're going with me." I'm like, "Okay, fine, I'll go." <laughs> and so I went, and I sat there in the back of the room, and I was like, "Oh, this this, this seems interesting. This seems like something I might want to do." <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah, I did my. And just to make sure we're all on the same page, a triathlon is a race that includes a swimming leg first, a biking leg second, and a running leg third. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. And then there are different, different lengths of those become the different types of triathlons that you could do. Yeah. I have to say the fact that you grew up as a competitive swimmer, I think probably is a uh, lower barrier to entry than most people have. I think that uh, is, that is very true. Is definitely uh, <laughs> the scariest part to, to me anyway. <laughs> I, I have big props for people who learn to swim as an adult. It is very hard to teach yourself how to swim when you're an adult, even with lessons, because you have to learn the motor coordinations of like trying to do the stroke as well as trying to breathe and when to breathe. It was like when you're a kid and you're learning this, you, you don't care. You just, you just tell, do what they do, you know, what the coach says to do and you can get it. But when you're trying to unlearn all sorts of different things as an adult of what's normal, like I can't normally just breathe in with my head underwater. And like, no, there's water there. You can't do that. So it becomes, I, you know, people learning to an learn swim as an adult is, just amazing to watch especially when they start conquering it and getting it and and watching them succeed at it it's it's really fun to watch that but yeah it's definitely the majority of people i think who have who can come easily into the sport are the swimmers by background but the majority of people who come into the sport are runners by background because a lot of them are looking for a way to reduce the impact on their body of like running every day you're like i'm tired of the pounding on my legs and my body it's like i want something that's low impact it's like oh swimming and cycling that's lower impact so then the, the whole idea of a triathlon comes from that makes perfect sense did you kind of build up your skills i guess you said you started with swimming but did you start with the cycling next and the running or is it kind of like so when it, you know after after i you know dropped out of swimming and became, you know, went to college and then I moved up to the DC area many, many years ago. So I won't age myself. Uh, but I, I bought a mountain bike and I tooled around on it 
and I, I, I won't say I'm a good mountain biker. I still am not a good mountain biker. I, if, you know, if there's a, a bolt or a log that's more than a couple inches, I'll still get off of my bike and, you know, carry my bike over it because I can't go over it, you know, just hopping it. Uh, but, you know, so I t did that and, you know, I thought I was going to be a horrible runner. I thought I had horrible knees that, you know, had gotten patellar tendonitis diagnosed before I even started triathlon. Uh, but somehow just when I started doing the running, like either it was, you know, the, the routine motion got my knees much better, or it was just something that, you know, once I started putting all three together, it just took off for me. And, you know, I, so yeah, it was kind of interesting that I hadn't really done much of running like in swimming, you do a lot of cross country running as a teenager. Like that's like the dry land sport. Like when you're in off season of swimming, you do a lot of cross country, but I was, I was never good at it at all. So <laughs> it, was, it was kind of funny. So yeah, I, I never really thought of myself as more than a swimmer and then started adding the cycling and running to it and thought I'd be horrible at them, but I turned out not to be. Um, tell us about some of your favorite races that you've competed in. Are you typically doing like road races or you mentioned mountain biking? Do you do some that are like kind of hybrids or trails? I've not done any of those. So the funny thing is when I first started, when I went back to that new triathlete program and from eating and my friend dragged me, I was like, oh, I have the mountain bike. Maybe I'll do one of these off-road triathlons because they have those around if you're into into mountain biking you can do trail running with mountain biking and like kayaking as instead of a swimming uh leg so they have those and I thought that's what I was going to do but honestly in the 13 years I have yet to do an off-road triathlon it's all been on road on pavement or okay. gravel paths for the run but the, the bike has always been on the roads for me that's cool any favorite locations or favorite courses that you've done I have many. Um, so I, you know, I would be remiss and in, in in not mentioning uh, the nation's triathlon, which doesn't happen anymore. It's been discontinued, but to be able to race in Washington, DC on the roads around the city, past the monuments, you know, swim in the Potomac, which is not that disgusting. It, it kind of is, but um, <laughs> I haven't grown a third arm or anything yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. Oh, it's been years, but <laughs> Uh, but just to be able to race around the city where the roads are completely closed for you is just kind of very special. And I know, I know it pisses off the people in the city who want to, you know, trying to get from point A to point B when there's a big race happening in the city, but it's really a lot of fun to be able to race around your hometown and, and see all the sites with, you know, the roads being closed to cars, uh, other, other races, that I think are really kind of favorites of me is Escape from Alcatraz oh. is one of the one of my favorite races to have done because you get kicked off of a boat right off the side of the Alcatraz Island and then you have to swim back to shore and then you bike and run around the streets of San Francisco and it's one of the most unique Aren't there unique races. In that water? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. there are sharks, but isn't the whole reason they built that prison there because everybody dies if they try to swim that water? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. <laughs> but they don't have sweatsuits. They don't have like... <laughs> uh -huh. No, yeah, that sounds totally... No ball and chain so cool. on you. <laughs> exactly, no ball and chain. You have, you know, wetsuit buoyancy. You're, you're training to swim. So 
it, it's, it's a little different. And then you bike around the city, you bike through Golden Gate Park, and then you're running through the Presidio, you run on Baker's Beach. It's just one of the most unique triathlon experiences that I've ever had. And it's kind of a lot of fun. Like I, I can imagine it's more of a mental game at a certain point, not just so much on your body. It's can I finish this? Yeah, that, that, that becomes a lot of triathlon, especially when you get into the Ironman distance. Mental, the mental aspect is a big part of it. A lot of people, you know, it's really not the physical nature because you train up to those races to be able to complete it. But then you start putting all three together in a race environment and it really becomes a mental aspect that becomes essentially a fourth sport of this, that if you can and cannot complete this and you have a lot of fights and arguments with yourself throughout the day of, do I want to quit? Yes, I hurt. Should I quit? I really want to, but I'm not going to. So it's really kind of an interesting, you know, aspect to racing triathlons. Yeah, sure. Okay. So you brought up the Ironman for anybody who doesn't know, (laughs) tell us what an Ironman is. Okay. So the Ironman is a specific distance of triathlon. Uh, It's started out um, actually as a challenge between swimmers, cyclists, runners as to who was the fittest or best athlete. Uh, That's how it started. And it combined uh, the Waikiki rough water swim, which is 2.4 miles. So this is all in Hawaii. So it's a bunch of Hawaiian, I think they were actually military people on one of the uh, bases there discussing this. So it's the Waikiki rough water swim, which is 2.4 miles. And then they had the around the Wahoo bike race, which was, I think, 115 miles. And then the Honolulu marathon, the 26.2, they combined it with the swim exit for the Waikiki swim with where the run start for the marathon was. So that became 112 miles. So that became the distances for the Ironman triathlon. So a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, followed by a marathon without stopping. Yeah, cool, cool. Someday. <laughs> I'm totally in. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely do that. Um, just for real though, when you cross the finish line, do they really call out your name and tell you that you're an Ironman? They do, for the that's, record. All right, that's real life. And they then you get like, you get that. to always yes. say you're officially an Ironman. Yes. The funny Does thing that is, only like happen in Hawaii? Or is that if you no, run that, that happens link? That in any of the, so Ironman, is a corporation. They put on Ironman events around the world and any of those Ironman races, there's actually a guy famous as the voice of Ironman. He's the one that people want to hear call their name. And he has like, I think there's maybe 26 races around 26 Ironman events around the world. And he will go to maybe half of them through the year. And people actually go to those ones because they want to hear him call their name. Uh, But the funny thing I've always heard is I think of all the Ironmans that I've done, you're so focused on that finish line that like, I don't hear the announcer off in the corner. <laughs> it was like, uh, I, I, you go back to the finish, like, cause they're recording live stream, the whole thing. And I will go back to the video and I can hear them call my name. But in that moment, crossing the finish line, all I care about is just crossing that finish line and getting to the recovery tent. I don't, <laughs> I don't honestly, I think maybe once I heard them actually call my name. <laughs> So what inspires you to be an athlete or what kind of inspires you to do these, you know, these races and to be a triathlete? I, it's always been the challenge for me. So it's, it's always been something that a lot of people think of as undoable or like people to, like, you can talk to people. It's like, Oh, I'm a triathlete. And their response is like, Oh, I never could do that. And I'm like, how do you know? 
how do you know until you try? And no, no pun intended. Um, but <laughs> how do you know until you actually like put one foot, like train for it, or you know, even put a, some effort in and start learning to swim, bike, or run and run and put them together. And I, I could guarantee that every single person could do a triathlon. It doesn't have to be fast. It doesn't have to be pretty. All you have to do is get from the start to the finish. And I bet I guarantee every single person could do one. And, and it's always been the challenge for me. It's always been my challenge of, can I better myself at certain distances at certain, you know, races or events? Can I improve upon something? I'm, I end up on a different, aspect and then I kind of be I am on the competitive side of thing as opposed to the more recreational just finish or whatever I'm I'm I'm, I work in a different compete in a different kind of aspect of it but for me it's always been it's not even necessarily the people that are there in the competition it's about what can I do and how can I manage the pain that I'm going through to do something better than I've done previously yeah, that's very cool. But we know that you are in the uh, competitive group. You're not one of those people who waits after the gun goes off to get started. So tell, <laughs> us, tell us about some of your biggest successes or accomplishments that you're most proud of. So I think my probably my biggest success was in 2018, there was a half iron distance. So in Ironman, I mentioned all the distances. There's another distance race called the half iron man. Um, which is half of all those distances. So 1.2 swim, 56 bike, and then a half marathon run. Uh, there was one I did in October of 2018. And I ended up having probably what could be end up being the race of my life that I ended up winning the entire race by, oh, I think close to maybe over 10 minutes uh, of winning it. And I just laid down like great swim. I got out there on the bike, um, uh, and caught the guy who had gotten ahead of me on the swim, but caught him easily on the bike. And then I, and I got the bike escort, like the motorcycle that's escorting you around. And then I made it back to transition coming in very on hot on the heels of somebody who had caught me and then passed me on the bike toward the end. And then I just took off on the run and got the bicycle escort on the run. And it was just so exhilarating to know that I was in the lead, to know that I was out, out in first, that I had those escorts. And, and it was interesting, like the, the kind of, you, I can go into the, all the details for a long time, <laughs> but uh, like the, the pace I was laying down on that run course, I should not have been able to talk. Like, I feel like uh, that's one of those paces. Like I should have been huffing and puffing, which I would normally do in, in training races or training workouts. But I was having a long conversation with the guy who was escorting me. You know, looking back on it, I was like, how, how was I able to talk with this guy? I should have been huffing and puffing, but I don't know if it was the adrenaline or just the exhilaration of that moment of being in the lead, knowing that unless I completely bonked that I would win the race that I think was probably one of my favorite moments and probably the biz biggest, biggest success I've had. Um, you know, some other, other accomplishments that I'm really proud of. Um, I've competed at Ironman World Championship in Kona uh, in the Hawaii Ironman. I competed in 2019 in the 70.3, the half Ironman World Championship in Nice, France. Um, I've competed in gay games in Cleveland. 
um, where I won the triathlon. I competed in the gay games in Paris where they list me as second overall, but I'm really honestly feel like I won that one. I can go into the drama of that one, but that's a different story. <laughs> I mean, we love anybody. drama, so. Okay. Oh, 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 I'm always oh. here for a little drama. So. <laughs> All right. Well, so like the idea, like for athletes, whether you're runner, swimmer, biker, or whatever, or anything where you're doing subheader road racing, it's your responsibility to know the run, the course. Like you were told that you need to know where your courses are supposed to be, like where where the turns are, what you're supposed to do. And I had learned this and like, I knew what the course was set out. And then apparently the morning of the race in Paris, they didn't tell you that they had changed and shortened the bike course, that they had changed where the turnaround point was supposed to be. And when I came flying through this point, the people who were supposed to be marshalling the course were just sitting on the side of the road. I guess, cause I was the first person there, they weren't ready for me. And so I blew through there and kept going to what the course was supposed to be. Oh, I heard no. them yelling at me, but it was, again, I don't speak French. I'm sorry. Yeah. And what are you going to do? Maybe. I was going to say, in French, gonna... it's like, what? Oh, hey, yeah. Hi. Yeah, exactly. Oh, You're cheering man, for me. Thank terrible. you. I appreciate you cheering for me. And so I kept going. So I made my way back and then went on to do the second loop. And on the second loop, I got the bicycle or the motorcycle escort for the bike because they all they all assumed I was an elite cyclist. I did the correct loop on the second time. And then I came into transition and there was one bike already there. And I'm like, all right, how is he ahead of me? Um, you know, and then I passed him on the run. Um, it was a two loop run. I passed him on the first loop, but somehow his finish time, he had started a little bit after me. Um, but it was, I don't know, I, I, I mapped out like the time it took me to do that extra time. And that was way more than the difference between our final times. And so yeah. that extra time was what cost me that official win, but well, that's, suspect, it is what but, it is. You know, <laughs> the, the, I won't the messy you know. Queens didn't have the horse yeah. set up. The correctly. messy they French probably... Queens, get it right. Yeah. The French Queens. <laughs> oh, sorry. The messy French exactly. Queens. They probably like put the application for the permit in wrong. <laughs> it's Cinco de Mayo. And as a Mexican American, I say, yes, the messy French Queens. <laughs> it's All like right. that's redundant <laughs> um so you mentioned before the dc triathlon club if people are interested in getting involved can you tell us a little bit about that organization and where people can find more information about it totally so the easiest place to go to is the dc triathlon club webpage which is www.dctriclub.org um that's the primary place to go to um that's it'll be the same facebook page you know facebook dot slash dc tri club um so it's they were the ones you know that's where i got my start in triathlon and it has been a phenomenal place and welcoming group in my entire you know time that i've been with them uh something that we a couple of us started way back was kind of the tryout which is our lgbtq specific group um, within the club. So one of the nice things that I really like about DC Tri Club is that it's, at one time we were the third largest tri club in the nation. Um, we, you know, behind a couple to uh, San Diego and, and Los Angeles. Um, but we kind of span the entire, not just DC, but we have a lot of people in Northern Virginia, uh, Arlington, Alexandria. And then we have a lot of people in the Montgomery County, PG County. So we're not just DC centric. We've have the entire area, um, you know, broad spectrum. And we have, well, are welcoming to people from 
you know, veteran to novice from back of the pack to the elite. So we kind of welcome everybody. And that's also been my experience with the club as far as the LGBTQ community. They've been super welcoming of us. And is the, uh, I guess, the triathlete community pretty open to LGBTQ members and they have, they have been very, the, the triathlon community has been very welcoming and, and, and open. And, you know, I, again, there, there's always those one or two kind of people who aren't as in any community of that you can get, but for the most part, the, the community has been super welcoming, has never been biased or against anybody, you know, being an LGBT part of the LGBT community. Uh, there, there's never been, we have, um, actually one of the premier, uh, like professional women just kind of essentially came out as far as like, I'm, I'm in love with a woman. Uh, like she's been dominating the Ironman circuit for years now, like the, one of the top professional women triathletes. Um, just kind of came out and that's been really exciting if you will and 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 wondrous for us to like be able to say all right this this is awesome that she feels comfortable enough in this community and there there are a few others um you know cody beals is one of the top men triathlon uh, triathletes uh up in canada who's um has been out for quite a few years and, and has been great as far as the community goes um, so it's, it's, uh, it's been a great welcoming group and just in general. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, Brian, we want to thank you so much again for joining us tonight. This has been super interesting and fun getting to know you a little bit and maybe we'll be able welcome. to have you back again sometime soon. I am more than happy to chat with you all again. Thank all you right. all for having Good me. Good luck awesome. in your next race. <laughs> thank you very much. Saturday. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston for the design of our logo. Also, our music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members, Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.